Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. One of the most intense, important, amazing, and astonishingly difficult things that has ever happened in my life is having a child. I think this is true for many of us who have kids. Parenting can be the most transformative event of a lifetime. And while there are all sorts of resources out there for helping you do a better job as a parent, there aren't many shows about how to take care of yourself as a parent. Obviously, it's important to spend a lot of time thinking about how to actually take care of your kids, but how do parents take care of themselves in this process? How do we learn how to not lose our crap with our kids? How do we learn how to give ourselves a break? How do we properly mourn the loss of our old lives? How do we not pass on our various forms of dysfunction to our children? Where's the show about that? We here at 10% Happier have made that show. It's called Child Proof, and you're about to hear the first episode. Your host is Yasmin Khan, an experienced reporter and relatively new meditator and mother of two. I'm extremely proud to have Yasmin as one of the new voices and faces of 10% Happier. If you like the show, you can subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcasts, or you can listen to it on the 10% Happier app if you prefer an ad-free version. Enjoy. Here's a question for all you parents out there. Yes, you. Doesn't matter if your kids are babies or adults. How's it going? For you. It's okay. You can be honest. I know. It's a really big question. Especially if you're in it with your kids. But that's kind of why I'm asking. Because parenting is so all-consuming. And I'm starting to realize it's hard sometimes to keep track of ourselves, how we're doing, and how we change as our kids grow up. And thinking about the answer to this question could lead to some new insights that might surprise you. I thought I'd be a magically chill dad. Like, where did my former self go? I'm like, oh God, I miss that. I miss that. It is still very hard to reconcile the fact that I have a four-year-old. As for me, I'm really trying to understand where I'm at and who I am as a parent to two little girls. Hi, I'm Yasmeen Khan. Until six months ago, I was a news reporter. Whenever I felt stressed and overwhelmed, which was often, it showed up in interactions with my kids. I remember telling myself to regulate my own emotions the way that I'd tell my three-year-old she should. I'm still working on this and feel kind of like a child about it myself. But then I'm like, hey, parents are growing too. From 10% Happier, this is Childproof. A parenting show about parents. On today's episode, our first, we're digging into all the changes we go through as parents, including how to recognize them and most importantly, how to handle them. That's coming up after a quick break. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher 
and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first... 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Welcome back. I first started to think about this question of how parenting changes us kind of recently when I was scrolling through Twitter and found myself staring at this one tweet. I don't know if you have it up, but would you read it to me? Yeah, um, let's see. Yeah, so I, I posted a picture of my kids and I said, these are my babies. After I had them, I lost myself for a little bit, but I'm back now. That's Uche Blackstock. She's a well-known ER physician. She's often on MSNBC talking about the pandemic and the racial inequities in the healthcare system. That's what she usually posts about. But here she was, years after having kids, revealing that she lost herself when she became a mother. Do you remember what prompted you to put that on social media that day? Yeah, I think I was probably thinking about how much I've done and how much I've also evolved since I gave birth to them. I was always an incredibly focused, driven, ambitious person. And when I had my kids, literally, I felt like I got knocked over. And it just sort of felt like for a while, I almost forgot like 
who I, who I was. But it's an experience that really no one talks about. No one talks about how having a kid really changes who you are. You may fundamentally still be the same person, but you evolve. Blackstock putting this out there clearly resonated. Plenty of people replied saying something similar, that I vanished for a while, or 13 years later, still lost. In a way, I almost felt a little envious of other people's certainty, of their awareness of how parenting barged in and shook things up. Because if you were to ask how I've changed since having my two daughters, the answer is, I don't totally know. I don't feel like I lost myself, but I also don't feel all that clear on where I stand and how I'd say I'm doing. Today, we're gonna talk about all the ways, large and small, that we change once we become parents. We'll get perspective on how to deal with those changes and on how to recognize that they're happening in the first place. That's the insight I need. But first, I just wanted to hear from more parents about this. So being a reporter, I did what came naturally. I bugged a bunch of people. Hello? Hey, Desi, this is Yasmin. Hi, Yasmin. It's my homegirl. All right, well, now I'm recording. Okay, looks like we're going. This is Arun talking to you. This is Jen. I'm a mother to a three-year-old daughter. She's 20. I'm a mom to four kids who are ages six, seven, eight, and 10. I called friends, chased down neighbors and coworkers, even pestered members of my own family for a little one-question survey. How have you changed since having kids? I felt transformed on the day that my daughter was born. There was a moment after having my kid when I realized I had changed. It happens very suddenly. Something had just changed. And I heard all kinds of things, from emotional to primal. For some, this question brought up the physical, painful changes caused by sleep deprivation. I sort of felt like I was on drugs for the first several months of my daughter's life. Most of the time, I'm the night parent. And my daughter knows that because I'm a night parent, she will come and wake me up and ask for food or she's hungry. After the birth of my first son, a friend of mine, you know, kind of hinted that I'd been seeming more tired than usual. A few years later, he was like, man, when your son was first born, you were just out of it all the time. You were like for a year. For others, it was the profound recognition of being in charge of another human. You're more careful. I mean, like, it's not just about me anymore. You know, you're responsible for these little people. And you realize, like, wow, kids cost a lot of money. I couldn't just be the dude who's always willing to sleep on a couch and doesn't really care about cash. Like, I had to get a little more together. I'm kind of reminded of the feeling for the first time of being like, oh, I'm unemployed and I have a small child. This is my friend Arun. His daughter's in college now, but he brought me back to his days as a new dad. I was like a freelancer. So you're kind of scraping by on these sort of tiny checks and building up debt. And I was just like, oh my God. It's like, it was really, <laughs> it was like some, there was some country song that I happened to be playing around then, you know? It's like, worried man, worried man. I'm a very worried man. Like, the first time in my life where I'm like, man, this country song really resonates. 
My name's Taylor. Uh, I have a 10-year-old son. I feel like I started to change or feel like I had to change before my son was born. There was this period where I felt like I needed to get my shit together really fast and sort of look like my dad did when I was young, which is just look more responsible, live in a more responsible-looking home. I actually took out my nipple ring at some point, and I don't remember when this happened. It might have been after he was born, but at some point around then, I had a nipple ring, and I just decided that that wasn't my parent identity, and I look back on that, and I think it's kind of stupid because who cares about a nipple ring? But at the time, I felt this pressure to be a version of myself that I didn't know, and a lot of what's come after since then has been trying to learn how to be the parent and change in the ways that I need to without losing myself. My neighbor Desi remembers when he accepted parenthood. It happened one afternoon on a Brooklyn sidewalk. I was a high school student and my girlfriend got pregnant. Well, she wasn't really my girlfriend, a friend of mine. And I didn't believe the child was mine. All the way through the nine months, I didn't believe it until we met on the sidewalk. And first sight of her, I just knew she was mine. And my life changed instantly at that time. Because it wasn't just my responsibility of me, I had the responsibility of another person. So that was the major change that... I couldn't be me. I would have to be better than me in order to raise her and love her. He was just 17 then, an artistic kid doing New York City teenage things. I was an artist. I was in art and design high school, so I was an artist. And I clubbed a lot, hung out, you know. But that was like 83, 84. So I did a lot of clubbing. It was a great deal, a lot of clubbing. And that's all I would say about that. But very conscious, though, about my being or my existing, you know. Who am I? I was very aware who I who was. I. And my wife fell in love with me because of my child and the joy that I showed in my child. So that's what she told me. Desi and his wife went on to have seven children, and he's still close with his eldest daughter. I made a conscious effort that I'm going to spoil my children and love them no matter what. No matter what they do. And I always tell them that. They always have me. So, basically, that's it. And once you leap into parenthood, God, you need a lot of emotional reserves. That's what my friend Laura brought up when I asked how she's changed since raising three daughters now ages 24, 22, and 14. Before I was a parent, if I had a really bad day, I might want to just, like, go under the covers or have a whiskey and a bag of potato chips for dinner. And you can't really do that. Parenthood is pretty relentless, and you have to just show up, even if you're not feeling great about (laughs) about it, you just do. We heard a lot of this. That idea of reaching within and finding more to give, even when it feels like you're running on empty. Doing that requires not holding on to other stuff. We heard from parents who learned to let go of some anxiety and drop notions of perfectionism. 
Not seeking the ideal, but just like sitting in your okayness and being okay with things being okay. I have to keep reminding myself that like, it's okay to get mad. It's okay to get upset. Okay, I'm gonna be okay with the fact that I see dirt on the light switch. That's kind of the time where you have to just ex- kind of accept things and, you know, let go of your regrets and start just kind of enjoying where you are. I called up my husband's cousin, Sarah. She's a single mom. So I've always dealt with anxiety and I can get really, you know, anxious (laughs) about a lot of different things. And I kind of was bracing for the anxiety of even pregnancy and, um, you know, on medications for, you know, anxiety and depression. And they were changed because of pregnancy. And I kept waiting to have that freak out. And I only had one freak out the entire time. Sarah's pretty open about her anxiety and history with depression, also OCD. She remembers a moment just after having her daughter, Eliza, that things were okay. I remember um, like a week after she was born, I was initially living with my parents for the first couple of months and I needed that extra pair of hands. And I remember my mother and I were watching TV and the bassinet was right outside the door and Eliza woke up and my mother walked by and said, oh, she's awake. And she was being quiet. She was just sort of looking around and I just said, Okay, you know, and my mother, who I love dearly, but is much more, um, I guess you'd call it a helicopter parent these days, but but I don't mean it in a disparaging way. It's just, I mean, that's just how she is. And she was like bothered by the fact that I didn't get up. And I, I was like, but she's not crying. She's not hungry. And I'm watching Call the Midwife, you know. <laughs> And, and, you know, I don't see a problem here. And and I was, like, just able to, like, know that she was okay and just keep enjoying what I was enjoying. I think the bigger act of transformation for me was the decision that I could have a child. Because I had spent almost all my adult life thinking that it was not something that I could be good at. And for me to make that decision to do it on my own... I feel like by the time she was born, I, I'd learned how to take care of myself emotionally. And once I realized that I was doing that, I started reassessing, like, well, maybe you're not that sort of bad person <laughs> you thought you were. Maybe, like, maybe you actually can do things that you spent a long time telling yourself you couldn't. I love this idea that being a parent doesn't necessarily change who we are, but more unlock something that's already there. This was also true for my friend Rebecca. She remembers the exact moment she changed as a person, or at least how she saw herself, since having her son Kofi, who's now 16. The day that he saw a picture of me when I was his age, at four years old, holding a frog. (laughs) And he said, Mommy, why I'm holding a frog? And that he saw himself in me was a moment of such deep clarity in terms of who I wanted to be as a parent, who I was as a parent, and who I was as a person. 
The backstory here is that Rebecca, who is black, was adopted by a white family and grew up in an all-white town in New Hampshire. She just read a memoir about that experience and the lack of belonging she felt during her childhood. Becoming a mother flipped that. I was like, oh, okay, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. And it wasn't even like the only thing I can do is be a mother. It's that mothering made me realize I could do any manner of things, any number of things, more things. I got to tell you, it's the best thing that I've ever done in my life. I love being a father. I used to not be all that emotional, but I cry all the time now. I was able to separate myself from petty relationships in my 20s to really focus on what I needed to do. I realized I was depressed and I needed help. So I got a therapist and I've been in therapy ever since. And it's been a long, long process of transformation and growth. And really a lot of the work has been motivated by wanting to be present for my son. I'm still thinking about the question of how I've changed since becoming a parent. But I do know this, my kids bring out the best and worst parts of myself. Wanna know what you're really made of? Have a kid. But even recognizing what those parts are takes a little work. Coming up, we're gonna talk about how to do that and how to deal with change when it feels really hard. The weather's getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. After hearing from a bunch of people on the ways that having kids changed them, I wanted to have a clearer picture of where I was at in this whole parenting thing. I've been working on this, actually. About a year ago, I began to learn about mindfulness practices, started meditating a little bit, and here I am, working for a meditation company. I went from a newsroom to a place where there are meditation cushions in the conference room, And some of my coworkers are even teachers themselves. And they've convinced me that mindfulness is a good tool for understanding change, or as they call it, suffering. So to help me think through big questions, like how do we even identify how we've transformed as parents? And why does change feel so difficult? I turned to Yael Shai, a mindfulness and meditation teacher. She's also a relatable person who's easy to talk to, and a mom who struggled with that transition to parenthood. I'm not sure a single part of it felt natural (laughs) at all. You know, like loving them and kissing them and like trying to feed them. I guess that's natural. But the level of the transformations, especially the speed and the velocity of the transformations has been so intense that maybe now I'm getting a little bit of distance to be able to analyze what just happened. Did you notice it happening at the time? Or when did you like actually notice that all this stuff about you was changing? Yeah. Um, I feel like it sort of happened in little snippets and little moments. In the early years when they were very young, most of those moments were just pure suffering with pockets of like, oh, this is so delicious. This is so nice, like kissing and loving the baby and then so much suffering. There was one moment in particular that stood out to her when her youngest was a newborn and her older son, also a baby, was sick with a high fever. The exhaustion broke her, and she took to Facebook asking, does this get easier? Because I'm drowning. And then I remember one person wrote something that was like, it is so hard right now, but you can dig deep inside and find the strength to keep going, and that's what will get you through. And I kind of just like took that like medicine and just was like, dig deep. There is strength inside. You can get through this. Because there's no like, instructions there except just do it. And I think for me, I really imagine, and I still do, sometimes those words still help me when I'm like in the middle of just a tantrum or overwhelm or something. And and I, I remember like imagining that there was a well underneath that I didn't exactly have access to in the feeling of overwhelm. And then if I imagined just like dropping down, like releasing the tension, softening my body and pulling water up where I I really thought it was dry, I'm like, all right, that strength is there. And I'm not saying it was fun at all or pleasurable or pleasant, but 
I did find that I was like, and here we go. There's something there to make it through because you have to. So what is it about our identities that you think shifts so radically when we become parents? You know, what what's changing about us? Okay, so there are a few things like right off the bat. So for some gestational parents, your bodies change, and that's pretty major. But I think for all parents, there is an exposure to something which is the very vulnerable truth that something that you love tremendously, you ultimately don't have control over. And all of us, before we were parents, we start to get a glimpse of that with our own lives and with people that we love. You love someone, you never want them to die. Oh no, they're going to die. Like, how do you even make sense of that? But then the stakes go up a thousand percent when it's this sort of raw, pure part of yourself that is the sum total of all this devotion and dedication and love. And then to know that they're going to face suffering, to watch them in some cases face suffering. And it's completely smashing of our sense of control, that we are in control of the world, which is like what our ego likes to walk around believing. And that is so destabilizing. And that I think is at the heart of how to reimagine and remake ourselves in line with this truth. And the truth was we never had control, but we like to think we did, but we never did. It is so raw. Mm. It is so freaking raw. Yeah. And there's all these things that have to die, like your relationship to your friends as it was before dies. And so as a part of all those deaths, I think so much of this process is allowing ourselves to grieve and to feel the grief for years. That's the part I is kind of continues to shock me. Like, I was like, all right, you got a couple months where you're grieving the loss of your old life. But for me, it's on, it's been years where I'm like, oh God, I miss that. I miss that. And then you can kind of open your heart to the new thing, but you can't jump ahead of the grief. Yael says we all harden to change. Always been that way. This is what I'm pulling from the Buddhist world that I've been studying and that I'm a part of is that the way that we operate, it's not just some of us, it's like all of us as humans, we resist change. I imagine the little roly-poly bugs in our backyard. One little touch and they curl into a tiny scaly ball. That kind of happens to us too. Yael says we contract and put on our armor when something feels difficult. And she says dealing with that change comes down to one thing. Softening in the place of where we usually contract and allowing whatever emotions come through, including Dan Harris has sometimes referenced this quality of murderous rage that we feel against our kids. That's like, oh my God, that's so horrible. How dare I ever say that? Right. No, I'm so glad you just said that out loud. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> and I was so glad when I heard it. Like, we have to kind of normalize that these things are normal and the more we struggle against them and push them out of the frame, the more they'll cause that inner suffering. 
And so the path out is really like the path through. It's about opening to everything, no matter how unpleasant. Even when we know it's growth or, or we want to change, we are seeking change, we have to be, I guess, become comfortable with feeling the discomfort of it. Yes, yes, yes. I read a story a while ago, something about how lobsters, when they shed their shell, they grow a new shell. It's like very itchy and painful and uncomfortable. And they're like scratching and they go into a rock and it's like this whole thing. And that is exactly how I feel all the time about growing. Like, oh God, I have to do this now? But that is the way. And it's not just us, obviously. It's like then our kid, that's how our kids are growing. That You know, it's, it's not comfortable. Okay, when you're a parent, change is inevitable. So my question is, how do we start to identify these changes within ourselves and just kind of take stock of what's going on with us? This is where Yael says her meditation training comes in handy. There is a meditation practice that was developed by this woman named Michelle McDonald and then really popularized and developed further by a meditation teacher named Tara Brock. It's a practice called RAIN. I'm new to this stuff, so I had never heard of it, but apparently it's pretty well known as a basic exercise to check in with yourself. I'm all for that, so I asked Yael to go through it. RAIN is an acronym, R-A-I-N. And R stands for recognize. Like, how do we begin to recognize this is happening within us? And I think just noticing like, oh my God, this sucks, or I'm in such a bad way, or I'm like extra addicted to my phone today, or what is going on is that moment of pause and being like, oh, Mm -hmm. I just dropped off the kids and that was hard. You know, it's just kind of pausing to be like, this is happening and it's painful, or there's some kind of friction here. And then the A in RAIN stands for allow, which is just that exhale. It's just that softening, the pause, like okay, this this is hard. Let's just take that breath. Hmm. So recognize, allow, and then the I is for inquire or investigate. And that's like a very gentle, just a noticing like, okay, where in the body do I feel this sadness? Like what might be underneath it? It's kind of asking that question, like, what is this really about? Not with the sense of like, oh, why do I feel this way? But a more of like a, hmm, what could this be about? A curiosity of what's going on. And then the N is for nourish. It just asks the question, what can I do for myself when I feel this way? That's it. What can I do in this moment? And so sometimes the nourishment can be like calling someone, talking to someone, going for a walk, getting a cup of tea, just bringing a level of like kindness to your experience. It is surprisingly hard to do the nourish part. Mm. Even something as simple as tea or a walk. It sounds so obvious, but it for some reason feels surprisingly difficult. (laughs) For me. What do you think gets in the way there? Hmm. Maybe it's work. I mean, maybe I'm not stopping to think about really what might help me separate myself from that feeling or to understand what it is. So maybe it's just about the lack of recognition in it. But I I think it's like this reflex to keep plowing through the day Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, to get to the thing that I hadn't started yet or 
or something. I don't know. That like kind of urgency, like there's all this stuff that needs to be done. Yes. Yeah. Even though I am also very good at doing nothing when I can, (laughs) but I never, I guess, feel like I allow myself to do that or haven't in a while. I don't know. I I remember (laughs) at some point during the pandemic, a, a colleague tweeted something just like, hey, what's the healthiest thing you've done for yourself this year? like sent me in such a dark place because the answer was nothing. I think like I took a bath instead of a shower once. Mm. I mean, this was, I think at the end of 2020 and I was working in a newsroom and there would be multiple days in a row where I wouldn't leave the house. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I would drink tea, but it didn't feel like a nourishing act. You know what I mean? So like to turn it into something that is like very specifically restorative or addressing the need in the moment. I guess I just haven't gotten my mind there yet. Yeah. It's also interesting because often, at least I feel like sometimes a voice comes up that's just like, if you do that, you're going to be like down for the count forever. Like (laughs) you might (laughs) never find your motivation again, or there's Mm -hmm. some like fear Mm -hmm. of stopping the train, you know, because, oh my God, you know, I need that to keep going. And it's not right. Like I know that it's not correct, but it can sometimes just feel like there's a lot of fear. Even a little thing like taking a walk around the block or something can just feel like, okay. Like it's like stepping over a cliff. The train. This idea really sticks. Because sometimes I know what I need is to check into a hotel and sleep for three days. I need quiet and rest and sleep and rest. So if I can't do that, why stop everything and make a cup of tea? I recognize how irrational and unhealthy this sounds. And I also recognize how we help our kids get what they need. Even if we can't solve a problem, we go out of our way to make things even just a little better in the ways we can control. Why don't we do that for ourselves? Sometimes I like to say to myself that there's more than one baby in the room at all times, you know, including if you have multiple kids, but the other baby, like the other one that's struggling is you and the part of you that's like overwhelmed and dysregulated or just having a hard time. And so bringing enough compassion for that part in those moments and just being like, yeah, this is hard. I'm not going to struggle against the feeling of it. I'm just going to let the feeling be there. You know, that's so interesting to think about when you're raising kids, you also have to think about raising yourself because you are changing so much with them. Yes. I like thinking about it that way. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yes. We went to see a parenting coach because my, one of my kids, the tantrums were just like getting worse Mm. and worse and bedtimes and just a nightmare. And one of the things she had us do was to make our own family values, like to name what the values of our family and the way she wanted us to do it is to say, in this family, we such and such. So we made ours and it was like, in this family, we have fun, we play. And one of the ones that like keeps making me cry is in this family, it's okay to make mistakes. And we've come back to that many, many times, like a kid hits and we've always say like, in this family, it's okay to make mistakes and we try and make it right. But then I use it like times when I'm just like, 
oh God, I don't like how I did that parenting wise, or even not even related to parenting just in my life. When I make a bad mistake and I feel consumed with shame, I'm like, in this family, it's okay to make mistakes. (laughs) So, um, So that's, I think that's a piece of what you're saying in terms of like, we're all growing and we're all kind of finding our way. Sometimes that growth is super uncomfortable, and sometimes we're pleasantly surprised by how natural it feels. On that note, one last parent anecdote from a dad. Mine, actually. Lately, in his older age, he's been telling more stories about his family back in Pakistan, about emigrating to the States, and about being a dad to two daughters, my older sister Maria and me. So on a very recent visit with other family sitting around my dining table, he started calling up a memory and I grabbed my recorder. When Maria was born, I, I didn't know how I will feel or something, but it came so natural that I began to change her diapers, I'll take care of all those things which are kind of unheard of in my culture. And I had never seen my father do it or anybody else do it, but it came so natural. And I I was so involved and loving that I thought, I'm not going to have another child because I won't be able to give that child as much love and affection. But then I found out after Yasmin was born that that they don't share anybody's love. But I found out that each child creates their own love. So this thing remains full, no matter how much you give it. My dad, he was tapping on the table there, pointing to his heart. That's what's always full, he says. There's so much about parenting that consumes and inhabits us. Let's talk about it. This is Childproof. Today's show was produced by Palace Shaw, Candace Mattel-Khan, and Will Coley. Our managing producer is Kimmy Regler, and our executive producer is Jen Poyant. Scoring and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Carolyn Packer-Riggs wrote our theme music. Connor Donahue is our technical operations manager. Special thanks to Dan Harris, Ben Rubin, and Tony Magyar. Childproof is a production of 10% Happier. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs. And it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health.
It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% Happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms. Uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. Thanks to Yasmin and to the entire team of people who work so hard with Yasmin to bring this show into the world. It is incredibly hard to create something new, so hats off. We'll see you all on Monday for a brand new episode with my old friend, Dr. Mark Epstein, who's got a new book called The Zen of Therapy that's coming up on Monday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember Remix and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam packed, music filled weekly party where hip hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.